0: This is the quantum biology podcast, where we break down the practical health applications of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. This episode is a reporting of a live panel discussion featuring Carrie Bennett and Dr. Katherine Clinton, where they discuss the current paradigm shift from a total focus on biochemistry and genetics toward a new understanding of biology that includes the quantum and circadian perspectives. We discuss what it means, what we can learn from other scientific shifts in history, and what we can learn from the shifts that could have happened, but didn't. The conversation covers science, health, history, and philosophy in order to provide context about where we are now and where we could be headed. Welcome to our panel with uh, Carrie Bennett. And Dr. Catherine Clinton um, and myself, Meredith Oak, we t- are going to talk today about um, paradigm shifts in science and medicine, what it and what it means, and where we are now um, in terms of quantum biology, and what we used to know and what we're now learning based on that. Um, so, for those of you who took the certification, then there's a lot of you here. Fantastic. Uh, I'm gonna go back over some of the slides that I went over to kick off that course. And we're just gonna spend this whole hour diving into that idea of a paradigm shift. Uh, so you will, you'll recognize some of the material, um, but we felt like it was something that needed a, a deeper dive than we had time to do in the course. So we're doing it here. Um, and then as I mentioned in the email, we have a virtual summit coming up, which is gonna be really fun. Um, so this is like our way of fleshing out this idea so that when we launch the summit, we can be really clear about our, um, our thoughts around this. So we'd love your questions, your feedback. Uh, if anyone on the call has read things that resonated or they wanna add in, um, please raise your hand or put it in the chat and we'd love to hear from you. All right, can everyone see everything? Yeah, okay, great. This is uh, a quote from a book uh, that I found in my local library by a a physicist called Freeman Dyson. Uh, He was one of the greats, and he hung out with all of the greats. Um, You know, he knew a lot of the people, a lot of the brand names in 20th century science. Uh, He was very elderly when he wrote this book in the early 2000s. But I thought that he summed it up really beautifully. This book is called The Scientist as Rebel. Right. And we're kind of living in an age where it's more like, you know, the scientists as consensus soldier or something like that. So I love this idea of the scientist as rebel. And I feel like that everybody who's drawn to quantum biology would resonate with that on some level, because that's what (laughs) that's what you are. So there is no such thing as a unique scientific vision any more than there is a unique poetic vision. Science is a mosaic of partial and conflicting visions, but there was one common element in these visions. Rebellion against the restrictions imposed by the locally prevailing culture. Uh, So we are doing this call and um, part of this community and doing the upcoming summit um, as a way to build energy for the rebellion. (laughs) Uh, so as we talked about before science, the the great way to sum this up is, uh, science progresses one funeral at a time, which was an idea that the, again, another physicist, it's always the physicist, (laughs) uh, Max Planck, uh, said this, and it's one of those things. I'm not sure if he exactly said it, but he's been, it's been paraphrased into something. Science progresses one funeral at a time. Uh, the idea being that science doesn't change because we learn new things. Science changes when the people who believed all the old things die. Um, and, uh, sorry, I was gonna... So um, this is really sort of well fleshed out in Thomas Kuhn's book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. He goes really deep into, acad- you know, the, the Thinking in the academic understanding behind this, um, and he, in his research, came to the conclusion that there tend to be kind of waves, particles and waves, right, like <laughs> go through different waves, um, and there are times where we have, we do have kind of a consensus around a certain way of looking at things, and I would argue, and I'd love to hear, Carrie and Catherine, what you guys think that you know, for the past sort of hundred years, we've had kind of a consensus around a biochemical approach to biology. Um, And we're now, but then what happens is you arrive at a consensus and you build all your evidence for that thing and it's looking really good. And then at a certain point in time, you start to notice pieces of evidence that don't fit that framing, um, outliers. And as those those pieces of evidence become bigger and, bigger, it's very hard to stay within that original frame of thinking um, because you have all of this evidence that just doesn't fit into it anymore. So then you need, so, and that is when you start to shift over into a new paradigm. So I believe, you know, as as an observer and not as a scientist, um, what it looks like to me from looking at it from the outside is that we're in the middle of a shift out of a biochemical understanding into a quantum biological understanding um, of how health works and how the universe works, um, but for for what we will you focus on specifically, like health in the human body. So, what would some of those paradigm shifts look like? So, if somebody is new to the idea of quantum biology, it's like it's not just like oh, I'm going to add light to the list of things that's good for me. It's like you kind of need to reorient your understanding of how the human body works and how it interacts with its environment and with nature and with the universe at large. So, um, in the current paradigm, right? It's like, we have biochemistry, light's not medicine, everything is genetic, non-native EMFs don't do anything. Um, Whereas in the quantum paradigm, right? It's like, we're not biochemical, we're quantum biologic. Light, shapes every aspect of our health. Epigenetics and mitochondria are, are the foundation of where we're going and how we function. And uh, non-native VMFs can absolutely mm-hmm. have a violent effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, so that's sort of where I'm at, like just to kind of set the stage. And um, you know, those I think would be like the three, like these are kind of the buckets of where we're, we take this discussion. Um, the scientist as rebel, paradigm shift, and then specifically with, where, where do we need to change our thinking on, and dig down a little bit into that. And Carrie has more slides. We're gonna get even more granular on shifts between from the, from the old paradigm into the new paradigm. So, um, Catherine, do you want, <laughs> I'd love to bring you in now and share some thoughts on that.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Um, I love looking at this from a historical point of view as well. Like when you look at how science evolved and these paradigm shifts were also really paired with um, times of great social upheaval or um, pandemics, you know, um, quite literally, you know, we see in the time of cholera and and uh, the plague, Black Plague, we see these uh, big paradigm shifts in how we view health and those sort of social upheavals help usher in that change. It helps necessitate that in a way, it's almost like you know, human nature, we're so um, wired to be comfortable and safe. And if we feel comfortable and safe, we do not have the impetus to make such a paradigm sh- change to shift our worldview because, that in itself can really kind of shift our sense of safety in the world. So I think it's um, also important to note that historically these paradigm shifts have been paired at the same time as these big um, social upheavals, which we are in now. So I think it's a a wonderful time. And I see that happening uh, in medicine and science that, quantum biology is no longer this uh, thing that we roll our eyes and say, you, you woo, woo woo doctor, you know? Um, and we've got that coming to the forefront. So I think it's interesting to see in a historical um, perspective, you know, when we're looking at Newtonian physics, when that really came into play, um, there was this massive upheaval. And in England, they had been through uh, years and years of civil war at the time, you know, but before um, we left the paradigm of uh, vitalism and everything having energy, all matter has energy, right? And those kind of um, health traditions really were broken away from and there was that new scientific era ushered in. And when you look at the history behind it, it's really interesting to see that those shifts were accompanied by a populace that were hungry for change. Um, so I think that's where we are right now and I'm excited to, to be a part of that change.
2: Yeah, Catherine, I'm so glad that you highlighted the historical side of things because what I find super fascinating too about looking at this slide that Meredith has created is that prior, prior to the 1900s, we did think of more, I mean, electroceuticals were a thing, right? There was a huge study in electricity and how the body is electric and how light influences the body. And actually, I mean, going back millennia, we've known how light has influenced the body. Um, And it's, I mean, let's cut to the chase too with this. It's this idea that all of a sudden science became money. It became business health became a business. And as soon as it became a business and it became a for-profit thing, we went to, uh, all the research got directed into what could make the biggest profit. And so it's a lot more profitable, obviously, to think of the body as a bag of chemicals that we can manipulate with other chemicals than it is to think of the body from a quantum perspective as an association of electrons and protons and photons. And um, because when we, touch the body on the quantum level, that's free, right? You touch the earth, you get into nature, you ground, you breathe through your nose so that the oxygen goes where it needs to go, right? Like it's it's free, it's not a, it's not a good business model at all. And so I just find it, re, this is like, we're living, you're exactly right, in a very, very interesting time where it's probably one of the only times where we've really looked at, not not necessarily wanting to heal the body, but wanting to make a profit instead. And now all of the research and all of the paradigms are pointed in that direction. And so then it compounds, right? I think everyone's very aware. And I I was just chatting with Meredith about this before the call started. Um, The most eye-opening book that I could not recommend more for everybody was a book by Andrew Marino called Going Somewhere. Andrew, he, he, for those who don't know, right, he was a, he was a researcher, he still is, right, a researcher um, who studied a lot about the electrical body, right? He worked with Dr. Robert O. Becker and they came to recognize that the high voltage power lines, right, then those non-native electromagnetic fields were causing harm. And what's the first thing that happened as soon as they highlighted, they highlighted that it wasn't, oh, thank you so much for showing that these big electrical power lines in our, this whole industry that we've created around technology is ruining our health. Instead, it was, you're a quack, we're cutting off your funding and you basically have no credibility anymore, right? We're going to do everything Mm -hmm. we can to uh, reverse your credibility. And Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a fascinating book. And it's, it's kind of like, I feel like we are, we're at this precipice where we've Uh, enough of us have recognized, wow, I I know in undergrad and grad school, I feel like I've had to unlearn everything I was ever taught in any science class I've ever taught, right? You know, as I TA'd organic chemistry, I TA'd biochemistry, like that was my love. It was my passion. And now the, the, the chemical paradigm is just not where it's at. So I feel like we're at this beautiful precipice where we can finally, I finally have the quantum language to use to help shift people into the true behavior of the body, into what really works to help the body heal itself. Um, And yeah, I mean, this is just such a cool time to be be a part of this. I feel like we're really, really ready to make that shift. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's talking historically, it's really interesting to note that when we left that vitalism and went into the dominant thing that is what it is today, you know, the more mechanistic um, Newtonian physics, everyone at the time had been suffering, everyone at the time in Europe, who was uh, sort of in charge of science, right, (laughs) everyone at the time had been suffering these super intense sectarian clashes between religions, right? Catholic, Protestant, more people died at that time in Europe than during both of the world wars. So you had this time where people had these beliefs that they couldn't talk about, or they would risk death (laughs) or, you know, um, extreme social uh, outcast, right? Um, Or aggression, and you see them decide like when the Royal Society was founded in in London in the late 1800s or mid-1800s they literally decided okay we're all going to say that now science is God's truth and doesn't matter what God you have so now we can go back to talking about what we want without dealing with like religious clashes and our beliefs and it sowed the seed for the dogma of religion to be replaced by the dogma of science, and then that, like you said, Carrie, just completely paved the way for um, profits over people, industry that we are in today, and that that locus of our beliefs and and how that plays out in our science. And again, I think we're in that. It's exciting because we're in that um, same time again, and people are. Again, looking for a truth that they can get behind that's not associated with politics or, um, you know, dogmas and religion and all these kind of sectarian clashes. Something above that. So I think it's so exciting um, that that's where we're at right now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the other the other component is I think that we're trying to reverse, as you highlighted, is the idea of the Newtonian model, right? This idea that we're basically a bunch of separate machine parts, right? That we're, and then, you know, it's like, okay, repair the heart and that has no influence on the thyroid. Or, you know, I mean, there's nothing is really interconnected. And so the reason why I absolutely love the quantum paradigm is because we go below the the tissue level, you know, the organ level, you go below the chemical level, the cellular level, and you really look to say, what is truly interconnecting the whole entire body? And that is basically these beautiful rivers of exclusion zone water, right? Where you've got the electrons, the protons, the photons, it's a liquid crystal antenna interacting with all of these electromagnetic frequencies. And so, it just takes it that next level, right? It's the, it's, if, you know, if we're talking physics it's the unifying theory uh, in terms of what is truly happening when it comes to physiology in the body. And so it's just so cool. I mean, it really, I I really, really have appreciated learning it. And and just to highlight one last thing, the other thing that I'm grateful for that's just starting to happen are people like Dr. Gerald Pollack, because he has been very vocal about talking about a couple of things when it comes to this. For those who don't know, he wrote the fourth phase of water. He got me so passionate about (laughs) exclusion zone water. Um, But what he has said many times is that really breakthrough science doesn't come from the mainstream. It comes from the fringe and we need to support the fringe. And these days the fringe is being ignored. So that's one thing that I really appreciate about him. And so it's this idea of, yes, the fringe has been ignored but also what he has done is with his, I, this has been going on. I mean, I've, I've watched the videos since 2013 of um, his water conference, his mm-hmm. international water conference. It's the water conference of physics, chemistry, and biology. It's brought multi-disciplines together. And that doesn't typically happen in science. It's like, if you're a physicist, you stay in your physicist lane. If you're a chemist, you stay in your chemistry lane. If you're a biologist, you stay in your biology lane. If you're in medicine, you stay in your medicine lane, right? And no one really, crosses the streams, right? No. And so that's been a really cool thing to see. And I feel like that's what this is doing too. We're, we're, we're mixing the streams, right? In a way that we're we're acknowledging that all of those viewpoints are valid and accurate, but this is how they intersect as one.
1: Well said. <laughs> Thank you.
2: <laughs> uh, Meredith, you're uh, you're on mute. Uh,
0: unmuted. Um, yeah, it, it, it's such an amazing time. And I heard, uh, I think it was like a, a macro investor type guy, um, probably early 2021. And he was, he was talking about um, technological adoption, not scientific, but I think it, I think his insight applies. And he was saying that like COVID accelerated the adoption of new technology by a factor that you only see during a time of war. Right where people all of a sudden become willing to to change what they've been doing and change what they've been thinking in a way that they they only ever do and like you're totally up against the wall. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, and then Catherine, what you were saying about the the plague and the historical precedent mm-hmm. for moments of huge transition, like we are definitely in one. This whole yeah. COVID catastrophe has some silver linings, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then the idea of the the overlapping, you know, and I'm I'm wondering like I don't want to spend too much time going looking back, but in terms of how silent science became so siloed, right? Like we have quantum biology, um, you know, because Jim Al Khalili and John McFadden, I think they were at a conference and they started to chat. And like the way they write about it in their book, it was almost like they were like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> if we can talk to each other, like, do you think we can? <laughs> yeah. Let, do you think we could work on experiments? To, but like, they, 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 I almost felt like the way they wrote the book, they were continuously like hedging against yeah. criticism yeah. for even daring to, <laughs> to cross their mm-hmm. uh, disciplines. I'm just wondering what, if you two could talk specifically about the intersection of those two, the physics
1: and the biology. Go ahead, Catherine well, go ahead. I, Oh sorry i think that's where it all starts right like schrodinger <laughs> crossed the streets to where the biologists were and and so humbly right like that's the thing that trips us up as humans doing science or doing anything right as we get attached to that ego that thing that keeps us safe and and we become attached to our ideas and we become so reductionistic that we think Physics doesn't have to do with biology or chemistry or life. <laughs> you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, it's just so reductionistic. And and when Schrodinger um, wrote, well, prior to his "What Is Life" book, that really kind of ushered in that um, quantum biology as as we know it phase. Um, although it was ignored, right? But that was the first time that it was really ushered in was when he decided to go talk to the biologist and, and said, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think I might be right. And he did it so humbly. And and in his book, um, again, he acknowledges it you know, so humbly. And it's this idea of just genuine conversations happening, genuine sharing happening between um disciplines and and science and scientists without uh, being tied to that box, being tied to that idea. And don't get me wrong, I love my ideas, you know, I do. I get so attached to them like they're little babies. But at the same time, just like with my actual babies, I want constructive criticism on how how they're going to evolve, right? How those ideas are gonna evolve. And if one of them is just totally wonky, I have a a moment with it and then let it go, right? So we have to step out of that box, step out of that attachment to our ideas. And that's where we see that really um, unorthodox ideas capture reality when we can get those disciplines to cross talk with each other.
2: Yeah. You know, I just had this conversation with my mom. My mom, she lets me talk about this stuff without, without yawning. So I really appreciate her, but what she, uh, what she, I was telling her is, you know, with this whole, the whole COVID paradigm that we're in, you know, and science, right? Science, I need the science. Um, it's re I don't think people realize it's really easy to construct a research study that proves you right. Right. It's really, really easy to do. Um, and I, I and I think it's hard for people to wrap their brain around that. It's like, well, you look this this you know this proves my bias. This proves my bias. This proves my bias. Mm-hmm. Whether you're the researcher or whether you're the person reading the research, looking for the research. But what I've always said, and I told her, is like a really true scientist is always looking to prove themselves wrong. That's mm-hmm. what science is. So almost going back to that funeral quote from Max Planck, right? The funeral could be not, ne- not necessarily death of someone, but it's like a, the death of an idea, right? It's uh, you. It's, there's nothing. This is going to sound horrible, but like there's, there's a, there are lawn signs that that are getting placed in yards. And one of the phrases on that lawn sign is called science is truth. And I don't think that there could be anything further from the truth than that statement because science is continually kind of shifting and bobbing and weaving until you get closer and closer to what may be the truth, but science is never the truth. Right? That's a very, very inaccurate thing to ever think. It's like, oh, this is a definitive thing because so many definitive things have been proven wrong. And in terms of quantum biology, uh, you know, there are still definitive things. Like, I think we're going to, I think we're going to anchor a couple of people because I will say something like the sodium potassium pump is not what maintains the charge of the cell, right? And that goes so, <laughs> 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 Blast me. and that goes so against what we were always told. But there are, there's a lot of evidence that's been ignored for literally probably 50 to 70 years that's been ignored that actually pushes us more and more in that direction. And so to think that science is truth, it just really irks me. Science is always trying to prove yourself wrong so you can maybe funnel yourself a little bit closer to the direction of
1: truer (laughs) that's right i mean if we could just think of science as a verb rather than a noun you know Mm -hmm. it's it's really an act of exploration rather than these goods of um you know perfect truth you know absolute truth it's like that absolutism is always going to get us in trouble Um, and we know that from just from quantum mechanics, right? You just, you try to put your finger and hold it down and it changes. So um, that's just not, that's not gonna serve us. And and that's where we do, we get the most benefit from that cross talking. And that's what I appreciate about you guys um, is just having a community that, that uh, fosters that exchange.
2: Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Meredith, you're, you're awesome. <laughs> Thank
0: you guys, I, I just, you know, this is in many ways a super fun time to be alive, so. Um, I think, so we're coming up at close to the halfway mark, um, and we might maybe shift a little into the more detailed paradigm shifts, um, Carrie, that you have, but sure. before we do that, while we're still um, in general paradigm mode and sort of talking about where we are at this point in time, Um, I'd love to invite some questions or feedback from, from everybody. Um, what do you guys want to ask or add to the conversation? If you just have a thought or, or insight that came to you while you were listening, we'd love to hear it. Christy, if you could just unmute anyone who raises their hand, that'd be great. I'm going to pick on somebody if you don't raise a hand.
2: Oh, Lori, Lori raised her hand. Right. okay.
0: You're muted, Lori.
2: Hang on one second, Lori. If
0: there's one phrase I've heard more in the last two years, it's you're
3: on mute. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you think I'd have the hang of it by now. but. Um... Yeah, I was just thinking of a couple of things as we were talking about, as you guys were talking about the science. And sometimes the the hugeness of it all is a little overwhelming when you start to think that, okay, maybe the science and the research articles aren't the be-all, end-all. And when you realize that light is the most important thing and it affects your health, you start to extrapolate and say, wait a minute was this science study done under uh, fluorescent light? And you start to go down this road, you're like, holy moly, every study ever done probably means nothing. And it becomes like this huge, big thing. So I was gonna ask Carrie or Catherine, um, what was the moment that made, I know you guys have so much training in the old paradigm. What was the thing that made you think there was something more or willing to accept that maybe what you learned wasn't the whole truth.
2: I I know exactly when that happened. And it was when I looked at an electron micrograph of what a cell actually looks like and how jam packed it is and how everything is surrounded by water and when, and how that water was never given a value, right? It was just there. And, and we had these, you know, organelles and these molecules that would just kind of swim around. And we would have almost like this idea of random, was, I was taught random collision, right? Like this molecule bumps into this one and they somehow connect and it, ju- and, and then when I recognized that there's a hundred thousand tasks happening in every cell, every second, I just, it just blew it out of the water. It was like, there's no way that the, what I've been taught, the chemical model of random collision is how we could be operating at, as such beautiful quantum beings and as so complex as we are. Um, that's when I just went back to the drawing board. And then, like you said, I, I did the same thing. It was like, wait, every research study has been done under artificial light or every biochemical or protein study has been done by subtracting out the water. And, you know, it, they don't use the water in it. And the water is what gives the protein its shape. The water is what informs the protein, you know, of basically it's, you know, what's happening in the environment. And so um, that's really when I was like, ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> like, but I was also excited too, because it, it just made so much more sense to me. And it actually, uh, as much, I've said this in podcasts before, as much as I loved learning, I loved molecular biology, right? I loved learning the pathways. It's like this G coupled protein receptor and yada, 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 Like I loved memorizing that stuff. But um, I, I realized that what we were trying to do with those sorts of pathways was reverse engineer what could be happening at, in the cellular level. And really when you look at it as funneling of light, and funneling of electrons and funneling of protons, it's simplified everything. And I think that's called Occam's razor, right? Where it's like the simple answer, simple truths are simple truth or simple something along those lines, right? And that's Mm -hmm. where it was just like this beautiful moment where I was just like, oh my gosh, like as much as I really kind of, my nerd brain loved learning that, that's not what was happening. And actually this is, so simple to think about. And it means that I can now frame my lifestyle as such where, okay, I need to give my body the accurate light because this is what happens. I need to give my body electrons because this is what happens. And so um, by framing my habits and my day from a quantum lens, it's made my choices so much easier. It's not, doesn't feel like willpower or it doesn't feel like, oh, I, I have to go do that. It's like, no, it just make it really has made my day uh, shift and, and, and I have seen that with all my clients as well. And, and that that's when it started for me, when I really recognized that a cell wasn't just a big bag of fluid.
3: <laughs> did, did you go running screaming from the room when you realized this to tell everyone and share the good news that you had it figured out? And then everyone on the planet would be happy Because we now know this and then find out that.
0: Right, right.
2: I told my husband, I was like, I love quantum electrodynamics of condensed phase liquids. And he was just like, okay, whatever.
1: (laughs) 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 We're a good pair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's beautiful, Carrie. You're so brilliant and normal um i think
2: <laughs> i really appreciate you so much <laughs> that, is, that is actually an odd
0: combination <laughs> a rare combination i should say <laughs> <laughs> and normal let's find everybody
1: <laughs> it's it I, she's always impressing me carrie you're always impressing me with your um, motivation to and really get at uh the truth i think if I were to answer that question when I really um, got excited about quantum biology, I have always sort of had a weird mind and um, I got my start in health by assisting with a midwife and she was a traditional midwife from Mexico. And there was so much in that um, healing relationship that she would have with birthing mothers that, there were so many questions unanswered and and that remained my the backdrop of my education, right? So I flunked organic chemistry. The second time I flunked it, the professor had to come over and say, so I want you to write the answers that I want. <laughs> you know, I was a philosophy major and just would sort of write paragraphs about what I thought was happening. Um, and I got really sick in medical school, and um, it was after regaining that physical health, but still having that massive sense of disconnection. Um, I started researching mitochondria, and that really opened up quantum biology and just a, our true place in the world. Um, and that's when it it sunk, and and I haven't been able to to think about anything else. It's so exciting, so. Um, that's my abnormal story <laughs> compared to Carrie's No, I love it I love
0: that <laughs> um
1: yeah it's it's just it was really finding that that missing piece um that has always been there with myself and, and health my patients and health you know so so often we can get to that physical health we had before diagnosis and that just isn't the pinnacle of health, right? That's just one step before a diagnosis. So um, it's been really life-changing to learn about quantum biology and learn about how our body interacts with the world around us. And uh, it's it's uh, it's been wonderful. And I just can't help myself from digging and digging more and finding more connections. It's mm-hmm. so fun.
0: Thanks for your stories, that's great. Yeah, thanks for the question, Lori. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, like just from perspective of someone who interviews a lot, it's, there's just certain people that have a, like a little light bulb or a little, mo- you know, like they just notice things in the world and they can't not go there. And there's so many people where that just seems so strange to them. Like they just have their path and they're on it. And like, when you do something weird, they're like, why are you doing that? But so I'm. I'm curious. Maybe one day a quantum biologist will understand what it is in the outliers who just, you know, they just can't stay on the straight and narrow. Thank goodness for us, um, Kelly. Hi everyone. Hey Kelly.
4: So I have spent the morning diving into the double slit experiment. Uh, and um I've no, right, of course, yeah, right, sure. I mean who who didn't, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh I was lucky enough that, you know, after learning about this and and sort of having my head split open and my 20-year-old son who's studying bioengineering came downstairs and I said to him, do you know about this? And he was like, yeah, of course. And he just sort of rattled off the whole thing. And he's like, yeah, sure. It's, you know, it's this and that. And I was like, he just knows everything. How come I didn't know this? (laughs) Um, but my, so this has led me to start to think more deeply about light. And so if we know from that, from the double split, sorry, that, um, Light changes its behavior when it's observed. What does that mean? Does does that mean that what we know is is not what's actually happening?
2: I mean, like, wh- what, what do we do with that? <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow, we could spend three hours on that one alone right <laughs> there, right. right. I think we should. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to to me, what that what 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 that what that kind of led me to that recognition, that understanding is that light is a wave, it, mm-hmm. bef- until it's observed, and a wave has infinite potential and infinite possibilities, and is basically everywhere at once. If you think of it, it's it's pretty it's pretty wild to wrap your brain around it, but it's your then thought, it's your observation that sculpts the wave, into your reality. And so that's 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 that concept of like you create your own reality. It has everything to do with this this sea of infinite potential. These photons that are emanating from our bodies are also around us. And it's how we coalesce them, right? It's how we observe them and coalesce them that helps to guide our next moment. I mean, if, if I could say it in 30 seconds, that's how I would say it. Oh,
1: <laughs> yeah. beautiful.
2: So then it's, it's light is different for each of us. It is, it is. And then, so then, and the potential then, so, um, I don't know you, I mean, we all know people who it's like, oh, you know, bad things always happen to so-and-so right. You know, and it's like, and, or, you know, good things always happen to so-and-so and And that's quantum, right? That's because oftentimes the thoughts that we are projecting are changing the photons. And I have a feeling it's not just photons. I have a feeling it's pretty much it's, it's, it's a lot of subatomic, uh, features of the, the fabric of space, if you will, um, that, that, change as well upon observation. Um, But it's 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 this idea that the energy that you guide changes the photons and it literally changes your next moment. And then if we look at it from the perspective of water, right? the the photons then imprint a certain pattern into our water based on our thoughts and our emotions. That pattern then, Kelly, right? We know those cymatic patterns can either be coherent or not coherent. If they're coherent, then the body is working as this unified quantum system. If there's discoherence, there's likely dis-ease in some area of the body. And so then you can get to that aspect too of how the thoughts affect the, the light, affects the water, and how it affects the body at that quantum scale. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I even think of it um, and in a broader sense of observation. If we look at observation as measurement, then looking at what a glass of water or, um, you know, a lake, a body of water does ourselves, we that water is measuring um, signals from the external environment at all times. And so in a very macroscopic way to look at what that means. What does it mean to change um, directions or forms once we're observed in a world that's constantly observing In, in a very macroscopic way, it makes me think of the quantum coherence of our universe and how it's dependent on the interactions of the parts and pieces. We are not just, one person standing on on this planet. We are part of a collective that goes so far beyond our individual self, right? It's these subatomic particles that are connected in a field. So when we talk about uh, the ability of light to change once observed or electrons or, you know, these really small parts, it exemplifies what's happening on a much bigger level. I mean, when we look at homeopathy and the ability of water to hold medicine and energetic imprints in that way, it's just really amazing that matter... And that like, exactly like Carrie is talking about on an individual level, how our thoughts and observations create that form of matter from energy in a much bigger way that's happening between these summit topic particles of everything in our world. So really we are a creation of the collective is where that leads me.
2: <laughs> I mean, I want I wanna talk, about the plasma universe, but I'm
1: gonna hold my tongue. (laughs)
2: Go ahead, Angela. I totally love this. Catherine, you're rocking my brain right now.
1: (laughs) It's just so fun. It's so fun to break down the walls and peek outside, right? Absolutely.
0: Okay, so May panel, we will do plasma universe. (laughs) Um, Angela, I think, had a question.
5: Yeah. Just uh, Hi everyone. Hi Angela. <laughs> hi. Um, it's so fascinating about, I, I'm actually just starting to get into the law of attraction. A book oh, yeah. showed up in the second hand shop, two books together, all about the law of attraction. And then I found that the secret is in a movie and it kind of tries to portray this like pulse that happens when you have a thought. It's so it's so funny because it's just in the last week. And, um, Nathan, he told me about a lady called Beth Lambert. And she's studying anomalies um, for children who are being healed from like autism and ADHD. And she's trying to trace down these anomalies. And she says one thing they have in common that they're dealing with this toxic load, including NNEMS. But um, one of the things that she says they all have in common is that the parents decided that their kid would not have this. Yeah, just decided. And so then they manifested that in a way by pursuing that and I relate to that because we also kind of just decided that eczema wouldn't be a thing that we'd have for 14 years which everyone kind of told us so my question um, is for you guys but also for everybody else because I'm trying to create a business to help children or families with eczema And there's certain things that have been like what I call a gateway for me into the paradigm shift and a gateway when I'm introducing family members to it. We can talk about some things doesn't go through, doesn't go through. And then when we um, sent them a link to the free earthing movie for the third or fourth time, have you seen it? Have you seen it? They watched it and then they got like a gateway into it. They kind of got this one little brick Um, And it opened up that light is also maybe a thing. And that was a really cool gateway. Um, Are there any other ideas of what could be gateways for like a person who wants to help others adjust to the paradigm shift that we have in front of us?
0: (laughs) Angela, that's a great question. I would invite everyone to put in the
5: chat what their gateway book Mm -hmm. podcast is movie idea. Like it could be saying that, have you ever thought that the moon is the only source of light at night and that the phone that you're holding is kind of like the sun or, you know, it might be some analogy or wake up call.
2: Yeah. Catherine,
5: we say, say.
2: yeah. Catherine and I did a live a couple of weeks ago and she was, she, I'd love for you to, to hear her answer because she talks about meeting her patients where they're at. Right. It's this idea of you can't, you can't force. Right. And so Catherine, what do you, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, My thoughts are the same as they were (laughs) a couple weeks ago, is that, uh, you know, especially when dealing with people um, who are ill, physically unwell, there is a barrier to hearing and accepting things, right? Because you are ill and in a way you're guarding, right? Uh, The patients that come to see me, I deal with a lot of GI stuff and autoimmune stuff. And so almost everyone is in a guarded state when they come to me. So what I'm doing is trying to find the easiest way for them to open up that window, right? So when we talk about diet changes and supplements and blah, 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 all that, that's what they're used to pour a pill in their hand, pick that thing up at the grocery store, Um, things that they are doing anyway. But with circadian medicine and really getting um, that piece dialed in is I have to open up a window for them to really find that sense of health in that relationship. So what I talk with them about is I give them all the information, right? I try to be like a propaganda ad. (laughs) So I'm like, yay. And I talk about earthing and getting that AM sunlight and lowering the lights at night. And then, and I really pour on the science and, you know, I keep it short and simple, but I give them something to sink their teeth into in 2022, science is everything type of world, right? So here's the real proof. And then I challenge them to get some X ex, um, experience with that. And I challenge them to just a week of opening up a window to that relationship with the sun. And ideally, if they can get out, and you guys know, right? Ideally, if you can get out in that AM sunlight, and, and even uh, incorporate grounding or earthing into that. That's ideal, right? For someone that is dealing with an autoimmune condition um, who has trouble getting out of bed and doing their daily activities, that sounds like pie in the sky. I'm not gonna listen to her anymore. She doesn't get it, right? And I do get it. So what I say is um, make a cup of tea and, and bundle up and open a window. Um, open a sliding glass door and, and pull your chair up to it and let the sunlight hit you like that. Try that for a week and lowering the lights. Try that for a week. And then let's talk about how you're feeling physically. And I've never, ever had a patient come back and just talk about how they're feeling physically. It fulfills a relationship that they're looking for um, maybe their whole lives, right? So many of us live in a, in a community that's not safe. And so finding that safety and that health in a relationship with the sun is something life-changing for these people, but we have to start small um, depending on where they're at. And, and opening a window can be more life-changing than going outside in the sun if you're not gonna go outside in the sun, right? Um, Carrie uh, was just talking about opening the sunroof on the way to uh, work in the morning. Something as profound as that can rekindle that relationship and really bring that person back into what's happening inside themselves as it pertains to not only their thoughts, but the world around them. So that's really where I like to start is is very small, but we all know that how powerful those small steps are. And I've never had anyone come back and be like, yeah, I sat in front of the window and I lowered my lights and nothing, you know, it's always this gateway <laughs> you know it's really 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 powerful especially when you're dealing with someone who's really really sick um so starting small and giving them them those small wins then there's nothing to stop them then they just want to eat it all up and tell me more and they're out there doing their am barefoot walks you know that <laughs> that happens yeah but giving them something physical sciencey to to wrap their um 2022 mind around while giving them a, an exercise to access that medicine that's doable for them. If that makes sense.
0: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes, makes so much sense. I still remember, um, you know, it takes a while to sink in. I've been watching so many videos about all of this and reading about it and doing this stuff. and. I was like, I'm gonna book a consult with Dr. Cruz. And I got on there, it was like eight, I was in Europe. So it was like 8 p.m. where I was in daytime where he was. And like, I get on the, on the. it uh, wasn't Zoom that back then, it was Skype, back when we all used Skype. He was like, I got on and he goes, what time is it where you are? And I'm like, eight o'clock? And he's like, where are your blue blockers? And I was like, were you really serious about that? <laughs> It just, it didn't, you know, I think I always tell that story cause it's like, like I had researched it so much. I was at the point I was like willing to make an appointment with this person, but I, it still hadn't sunken in, right? Like sometimes it takes a while like for that switch to, to get flicked over. Um, I was sitting in front of my laptop at night, no blue blockers, no iris, nothing. Just like, tell me about why I have chronic fatigue again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, I just wanna do a quick time check. We are almost at an hour. Um, Carrie, Catherine, are you guys okay to go for like another
2: 15 minutes? I have a one fifteen, but yeah, I'm fine, absolutely.
0: Okay. So we'll try to do 10 minutes. So Carrie, why don't you pull, maybe pull up your slides, just take us in through them. Um, sure. And then this has been delightful and we will do it again, Carrie and Catherine, if you guys are amenable to that. So. Um, sure. All right. So.
2: Yeah, go ahead. So, so some of you can probably recognize these if you've taken the course uh, before, um, but these are just some key paradigm shifts that I think need to happen more specifically to quantum biology, right? And so like there's this current paradigm that we know that water comes in three phases. It's a liquid, a solid, or a gas. And in the quantum paradigm, Water exists inside of us as the majority of it is in that special fourth phase, that exclusion zone water that I'm just so passionate about. Uh, And that's a really powerful shift to have happen because once you recognize the the beautiful properties of that water, it makes so much sense why we do, why we recommend the quantum things we recommend. So this was my big aha, right, that I alluded to when Lori asked the question. It's like the current paradigm said that the water in the body or the cell is just there, right? It's inert. We can exclude it from, you know, uh, 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 you know uh, AI simulations when it comes to protein folding. We can exclude, exclude it from biochemistry because it just doesn't really do much. But what we really actually recognize is that water is foundational and what I have found super fascinating about, um, s- reading research a- around water, especially the quantum electrodynamics of water is that all of these researchers, they didn't, they they've loved water for a long time. For example, Albert St. Georgie, who is a, uh, you know, Nobel prize winning, um, I want to say he was a chem- chemistry right for, uh, for vitamin C. But what he did and so many other researchers did is once they got tenure, once they got fame, they flipped their research to water. And that made me just pause and say, wait a second. I kind of thought we knew everything we, need- we needed to know about water. But the fact that all of these bigwigs are now flipping their research to water, um, well, we now know it's because it plays such a foundational role in energy and communication, and they were just beginning to put those pieces together. And now we've got this beautiful, beautiful body, uh, of, of evidence, right? If, as if we need evidence, so we've got this beautiful body of evidence that really shows the amazing things that water can do inside of our bodies. So the old, the old paradigm, right? Just drink a lot of water. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You don't got to filter it. There's no toxins in your municipal water system. You just got to pee clear, right? Just drink a bunch of water. <laughs> And then this concept of quantum hydration is, is that there's, goes, there's so much more than that, right? There's the building of this exclusion zone. We want movement and minerals and mending these connective tissue superhighway. And that mending is physical, that mending is spiritual, emotional. Uh, there's so much that goes into it. But when we do take the care of mending and building our quantum hydration, um, that's where so, much power, so many powerful things can happen to our physical beings. Another paradigm with water is that, you know, that we, we think about mitochondria, right? I think there's been a big shift as Catherine was talking about. That's kind of her gateway. (laughs) It was her gateway into a quantum biology, um, that, that mitochondria make ATP. Uh, I, I would love to spend a whole hour debunking this too, because yes, they make ATP, but we, and we viewed ATP as our main energy currency in the body. And yes, mitochondria make ATP, but they also make water. And so actually when we recognize that exclusions zone water is this charge separated battery that's everywhere. And we only store about 15 seconds of worth of ATP at the cellular level. Why would nature have said ATP was our main currency? Our main source of, of, of energy is, is this exclusion zone water. And so these are some really amazing paradigm shifts with water that are starting to happen. Um, Meredith, you want me just to go through all of them, or you want to pause with each one, or
0: um, what's the next one?
2: Uh, what, the next one's mitochondria.
0: Um, yeah, okay, yeah, let's let's go through mitochondria and then we'll pause, um, check out okay. and then we'll wrap
2: up. Okay, awesome. All right, so here's the, mitoc- the the shifts when it comes to mitochondria, right? And that's what I talk about the ATP but they make that water. And so if we could really get the word out that step four, well, all the, all the complexes do important things, right? And we've been so focused. There's that, there's that enthusiastic reductionism, right? That Catherine was talking about. Like we get this, we get really latched onto this idea and water, but we also have to recognize that the mitochondria, yes, they make ATP, they make water, they make infrared heat, how cool that that actually is used to structure the water they make uh, biophotons that communicate through the water with the dna right in the nucleus so it's this beautiful uh beautiful relationship that happens and these mitochondria are so much more than just these powerhouses of the cell because they make atp so here's that paradigm shift right mitochondria can actually because they make water and because they structure that water they can actually store quantum information or they can be antenna basically to quantum information. And we have to remember that mitochondria used to exist as their own individual bacteria, right? That when, when the world was just a bunch of archaea, and and uh, prokaryotic bacteria, right? We we actually had they they had to sense the environment for themselves, and they've retained that capability. And so this is where we go to this idea that these mitochondria, yes, they're an organelle, but they actually have this these this beautiful it's our sixth sense, right? They can sense and trap the electromagnetic frequencies are in, of our environment, and through biophoton communication, through controlling the flow of electrons through the electron transport chain, they can help to communicate what's going on. At to, to the entire cell and also to the rest of the body, and so right, all you need to know is that mitochondria make ATP. Yada yada yada. Carrie, stop talking. But then this is what I was talking about before. There really are just these antenna that connect us to the greater universe. Which, as as Catherine says, you know, yes, they connect us to the rest of our cells. They connect us to the immediate environment, and they connect us to the cosmos as well. So, <laughs> I mean, you think I'll stop my share? But you, you think we can make that shift? You think we're ready to make that shift? <laughs>
0: Thank you Carrie that is like a brilliantly simple breakdown of the the paradigm shifts that we're going through like on a more on a more detailed level when you talk about shifting from biochemical to quantum biologic. Um, Catherine, what are your thoughts?
1: I'm ready to shift. (laughs) Um, I think that 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 shift absolutely needs to happen. And, you know, I was talking with um, someone the other day who is a quantum physicist and open to quantum biology, but the way he speaks about it is so Newtonian. I mean, he's talking about how we evolved um, and, and quantum biology is, a, is a, a byproduct of that as if the world wasn't revolving around these mechanisms to begin with. you know. It's so interesting to see how we get stuck in these boxes, right? So I think that um, it's starting to unravel. And I think that we are making that paradigm shift bit by bit by bit, and we're finally at a point where a naturopathic physician can talk to a quantum physicist who's open to um, quantum biology and kind of, you know, we can hold hands and we can have this dialogue with a foot in both worlds, right? Because I think what's so scary about paradigm shifts is the complete breaking away. And it doesn't have to be. I mean, we know that Newtonian physics works um, in some level, right? If I drop a ball, it will drop. And if it hits the floor and it's bouncy, it will bounce, right? We have these laws that affect the, the, the macroscopic laws of motion and whatnot that still apply. We just need to overlay this new paradigm in which they're working, right? In which they're not the king and everything. They're part of the, the picture. So that's the piece I get excited about is being able to talk to someone like that who um, is so ingrained in their, in their thinking and their uh, quantum physical Newtonian physics. <laughs> <laughs> that they're able to take a foot and put it into quantum biology, that that's happening right now is really, really exciting and something that we don't see um, often, you know, like, you know, we've all been talking about this for so many years and it's fell on deaf ears right like so many times in social media or at conferences when i'm speaking it's just these blank stares and nobody's on board versus last year i spoke at the um the annual conference for environmental medicine on mitochondria and toxins and how it affects our quantum biology and people were Biting for more, um, so it's really exciting to be at this time, and and that's what I would say is that that paradigm shift I think is happening, and it only takes one foot out of the box, and I think that we're finally there, and and it's I couldn't be more thrilled about it. I,
2: I, yes, and what I think is just just as cool as what you're saying with that with that conversation with a, a quantum physicist is this idea that there is. Like I think all of us are self taught, right? Like I didn't go to quantum biology PhD school, right? Like there there is no set curriculum. We're all self taught, and that makes it that much easier to talk to different people. Like you know, I know in the in the course uh, that that Meredith has hosted there has been what mate a dentist there's been doctors there's been people with no scientific background there's there's therapists there's massage therapists it's everyone from, it's coming from a different perspective so i think the coolest part about this is that we're not just going to be trying to convince you know quantum biologists that it ha- that this is what's happening right we're actually spreading it out into all of these different industries. And that's where it's really going to make the biggest impact because we're not just a guru who's, you know, saying, I know everything, you know, you have to come to me. It's like, no, you know it and you know it and you know it and you know, it, and we all know it. And it's not my knowledge. It's all of our knowledge now at whatever level you have of it to share it. And now we have so many people from so many different walks of life that are willing and
1: able to do that. And it's just so amazing to think about. It really is. And we're at a perfect time with technology, right? We're just a few years away from a commercial quantum computer. And that's, that's where the conversation went. I was like, so we can use that for technology, but talking about it with biology, you know? And he was like, oh, <laughs> <I> was <laughs> like, yes, yes, we need to, step out of the box. It is a a theory of the way the world works, which applies to not only our fancy quantum computers, but also our biology, right? It's just really exciting to be able to step out of those boxes with people.
3: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And because from a quantum perspective, like there's nothing that is not touched by it. Mm -hmm. So no matter what, you do who yeah. you are, what your educational background is. There is a way into this for you.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Love, love. Thank you both so 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 very much. Um, this was uh, deeply delightful. I really appreciate you lending your your expertise and coming together for these conversations. And I think, um, and I would love to do it again. We can. I feel like we just got warmed up. <laughs> Keep going. So,
2: um,
0: thank you both so much.
1: Oh, thank you for this opportunity. I, I love this stuff.
2: <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. So much fun
1: chatting with you all. Yep. Yeah. Likewise. So fun talking and so fun finding um, quantum biology community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys are amazing. Thank you. Thanks. This has
0: been the Quantum Biology Collective podcast. To find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely take a look at the Applied Quantum Biology Certification, a six-week study of the science of the new human health paradigm and its practical application with your patients and clients. We also love to feature graduates of the program on this very podcast. Until next time, the QBC.